Well, good morning and welcome again to our Sunday service at Grace Community Church. Um, we don't have a video today, so I'm afraid it's just me. <laughs> uh, actually, I'm here to remind you that this week is the last week to sign up for the small group ministry. Now, um, one thing I want to caution you about is do not call the teachers and tell them you'd like to be in your group because they don't know how many people have signed up for their group and they don't know if the group is closed. Now I can tell you this morning that the First Thessalonians group is closed, but there are four other groups still that you can choose from. Now, if you're like me, you've probably lost this form that we passed out two weeks ago. So there are other copies at the Welcome Center out in the lobby, and I'd encourage you to fill out one of those if you're going to participate in small group this fall. Um, you can also call the church office this week and tell them if you are one of those who makes a late decision. All right, thank you very much, Dean. Very rarely, even in a good church like this that supports missions, do you ever get the opportunity to pull the curtain back and to see what happens after a missionary leaves? Uh, because we're always thinking about the missionary and what he's doing and all that kind of stuff. But after he has discipled, mentored people and, and left that area, you never know what happens to the people that continue to live in that area. But this morning, I want to introduce you to somebody that uh, has, uh, uh, is, is a, actually a hero. He's on the front pages of the newspaper in heaven. You'd never know him here on this earth because he's not a hero. He's not a rock star. He's not a football player. He's nobody that anybody would ever know except in heaven. And in heaven, he makes headlines all the time. His name is Omar Mayorga. Uh, his wife is Midian, has two kids, Gabriel and Sophia, and they are the pastors of the church. We, we planted a church in Bogota, Bolivia, uh, Bogota Colombia, and, uh, and uh, lived in his home. Uh, while we were there, uh, and he became the pastor of the church after when we left, he became the pastor. Uh, Bogota, uh, uh, Colombia, uh, originally, when we first started, had 12 million people living in it. Now it's somewhere around 25 million people are living there because of open borders from Venezuela to Colombia. All the Venezuelans, when, they, when, when their country fell apart, the, they were a socialist country and their country fell apart, they escaped over into Colombia. Most of them moved in toward Bogota and now there's 25 million people looking for about 5,000 jobs. And so a lot of people just live in the streets in cardboard huts and things like that. Uh, Omar is a, a, a teacher. 
Uh, he teaches uh, in regular school, uh, but he also teaches, uh, and this is because of his Christian background, he also teaches homosexuals, uh, lesbians, homosexuals, transgenders, um, drug addicts, other things in the most dangerous area of Bogota. And he goes down there and teaches them because there are a hand, there, there are some of the, them that would like to escape that lifestyle and become citizen, become useful citizens uh, in Colombia. And so he, teaches, he goes down there risking his life every day uh, because a lot of people die in that area there. But he goes down there and teaches a, a regular class. Uh, he's a regular school teacher, and uh, he's also pastor of the church uh, there in Bogota. We lived in the south part of Bogota where a bomb exploded a half a, half a block from our house where people run around with Uzis in their hands all the time. So this is not your typical Clay, Alabama place. So, so this guy has more guts than a Christmas turkey. <laughs> and so he's going to say something. Linda's going to translate for it. Uh, good morning. Uh, Buenos dias. <laughs> la única palabra que tengo hoy para ustedes es gracias the only word I can say uh, with emphasis to you all is thank you por haber enviado al Pastor Dean y a la hermana Linda dos excelentes maestros servidores del Señor que dejaron un trabajo muy bien realizado en nuestro barrio, en nuestra localidad. He's very thankful that you helped send Dean and I to Colombia. We were there almost a year, and he's really thankful for the teaching we were able to bring and the help to his church. El apóstol Pablo escribió a los tesalonicenses en su primera carta que estaba muy, 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 muy lleno de alegría y de gozo y de gratitud por el trabajo que, que se había realizado de obra misionera y eso es lo que hoy yo tengo en mi corazón que enviaron desde Bogotá, Colombia para la iglesia que envió y sostuvo a estos dos grandes hermanos en Cristo Jesús for the work of the saints there, uh, of the missionaries. Um, gratitud, simplemente gratitud. Um, el testimonio y, y ustedes nos ayudaron, no solamente para la construcción física del salón, sino también para las bases espirituales a nivel doctrinal. He's thankful that we were able to help with the physical construction of the church where they meet, the small area, because of the support and, uh, that y'all helped with that, but also the spiritual uh, help we were able to give. Y pues eso ha impactado muchas familias de manera directa e indirecta en el conocimiento de Cristo Jesús. Otra vez, what did he say? <laughs> <laughs> ha, ha impactado de manera el, el trabajo nuestro 
el trabajo que, los, que el pastor y la hermana Linda hicieron con nosotros ha perdurado, ha, ha persevera, permanece. He's saying that the work that we were uh, able to help with there is continuing now. They're struggling, like Dane said, um, especially after COVID, their churches really diminished. Uh, all of the churches are smaller or non-existent, but they are continuing. A muchas familias les agradecemos muchísimo. Muchas gracias. The families send thanks too. To Dios los bendiga. Muchas gracias. God would bless you. Thank you. Thank you, Omar. We appreciate you being here with us today. Uh, I'd speak Spanish with you, but it's all Greek to me, <laughs> you know. So, uh, uh, but anyway, it's it's all good. I tell you what, just to, just to know and just to be reminded that we're not the only people that come together to worship the Lord on Sunday morning. There are people all over this world doing the same thing that we're doing right now, and so um, let's just be thinking about that. Let's just join together. And let's worship the King. Oh, worship the King, oh, glorious above. Let's all stand as we sing, may we?
It's good singing there. Sing about the Savior who paid our debt and made us free. And he's forever. He is eternal as we are as well. And there's going to be a day when we will be with him for eternity. But let's sing right now, Forever Jesus. When I meet his 
day when we're going to be at home with our king and it's going to be forever and ever thank you you may be seated will not you listen to the words of the choir as they sing a song you know the words to it really so you can probably sing along many of you it's a little newer version of it not too new but it's fairly new but it is that one that talks about that one day one day when he's coming and he's going to and then it's going to be a day a glorious day because living he loved me Dying, he saved me. And that's what this, this song is all about. And so we can think about it. You can sing along with us if you'd like to. But listen to the words of the choir as they sing. Praises one day when sin. 
praise God. What a glorious day that's going to be. We look forward to it. Lord Jesus, come today. Amen. <laughs> but anyway, let's have a word of prayer. His choir goes out. Thad comes up. Father, what a glorious day. What a glorious day it's just going to be. Father, we look forward to you coming and taking us away. Lord, um, we know that you came, and we know that you died. We know that you rose again. And Lord, we know that you went back to the Father. Lord, we know that you are going to come again one day. Father, because you love us, not because we deserve it. Lord, how can we thank you enough for coming the first time and dying and rising again? And then, Lord, how can we thank you enough for coming again to receive us into yourself, to change us, Lord, to make us like you? Oh, Lord, what a wonderful, glorious day that will be. Father, we look so forward to it. Thank you, Lord. We come to worship you this morning. We come to sing your praises. We come to honor you, Lord, because of who you are, not because of who we are. But, Lord, you've allowed us to be here today and to sing your praises and to honor you. Father, I pray today as we continue in our worship time, Father, that not only are we blessed by the singing, by the message, by whatever's happening, Father, but, Lord, that you would be satisfied and you would be pleased with our heart of worship. So, Lord, be with us now. Father, I pray that you send your spirit upon the place today and you would just fill our hearts with the joy that comes from your word and from knowing that we belong to you. God, thank you for all that you are and all that you're going to be in the future. These things we pray in your son Jesus Christ's name. Amen. about now I was gonna have to get Teresa to come up here and translate for everybody <laughs> well it will be a glorious day <clears throat> for those who are in Christ not so glorious for those who are left and so it just as I was sitting there listening to the choir sing the song and I was thinking about all the believers who've gone before us and we look forward to reuniting with those that we love who are in Christ, who are with the Lord now. Um, but we need not forget that heaven is about Jesus Christ. And um, listen, I look forward to seeing a lot of folks I love. But at the center of all of that is the one who sought us and the one who bought us. And so we could just close and go home with that, couldn't we? We're not going to. 
as the Lord has been um, guiding me through this series, um, I have just been really, literally going week to week, praying that the Lord would lead me and guide me as I continue to talk about the importance of elders guarding the sheep and guarding their own lives, which really it begins with guarding their own lives. And what I found interesting is that every single time that um, the Lord puts a different uh, subject on my mind as it relates to what elders do, it has so much application for everyone in here. Um, it's not just an isolated message to a group of men who shepherd the church. In fact, there is much to consider, especially today, I think, um, for everyone, uh, not just for the elders. But it begins with them because the elders have the responsibility to guard their own lives first, and they should be men that you can look to by way of example who are out front and who are leading. This morning's subject is one that <clears throat> may make you uncomfortable. Whether you're an elder or just a, a common person in the seat, it won't matter because this issue is really essential in all of our lives, and that is the issue of integrity. There's a CEO of a renowned bank and investment company who has an unusual practice in hiring people. When he hires or seeks to hire an individual, he brings that person to breakfast and he arrives early, much before he expects the candidate for the job to arrive and the reason that he does is because he likes to go back to the kitchen staff and he says to the staff I want you to get his order wrong <laughs> and the reason he does that is because he wants to see the reaction of the candidate when they find out their order is wrong in fact he wrote these words he says, I want to look into their heart. I want to see their character on display. I thought that's pretty good. One of the things that cannot escape us is um, people. Every single day, you and I are in front of people. And we don't walk up to a person and say, hey, what do you think of us? But people are always watching us. They're not only listening to our words, but they're watching our actions. And the question becomes, what is thought of you when your day comes or my day comes and the Lord takes us home? What will be said of us? Will it be said of us that we had a good name, that we were honest people, that we had good character? Does that even matter in our lives? Well, if you look in the scriptures, you find much about integrity. King Solomon says, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. I want to ask you this. This is not in my notes. When you think about a man or a woman of integrity, who comes to your mind first? 
You think about all the people that you've known in your life, all the people you know now. Who comes to your mind when you think about the issue of integrity? In fact, you've heard it said, oftentimes maybe at funerals, this person was a woman of integrity or a man of integrity. They lived honest lives. Um, They were people that you could follow. They were great examples. Um, We ought to have a little bit of the mind of Paul. You know, when the scriptures tell us in 2 Timothy chapter 4 about the end of his life, it reveals his character. It tells us who he was when he was here on the earth. And so, integrity is something we can't escape. We might want to, but we can't escape the issue of integrity. You should be able to as an attender of grace, to look at the leadership of the church and say, that man has integrity. Perfect? No. But integrity? Yes. You know, we live in a world that's a lot different from the world I grew up in. Um, I remember when men shook hands on something and that was good enough. You remember those days? You didn't need some piece of paper and some signature. When they said they were going to do something, they did it. Integrity was something that was just assumed, I think, in that day when I was growing up. Today, what do people expect? They expect the person across from them to lie to them. Isn't that sad? But it's true. And you often hear people discuss lying in this way. It's really not that big a deal. Or is what I'm saying to them, I mean, it has a little bit of untruth, but is it that really that bad? When you turn on the television today, are you expecting honesty when you watch the news? Is that the first thing that comes to your mind? Boy, I'm going to get an honest explanation today. It's interesting when you do a little word study on the Hebrew word for integrity. It means morally innocent. It means upright. It means blameless. So when you think about that, you might take your mind to Job. Because how is he described? As a man who was upright and blameless. What if I said to you that our goal in the Christian life should be to walk in the truth? Not only the truth of the word, but to be honest people. Young people, listen to me. This is for you. You need to be a young person who has integrity. You need to be a young person that says truth matters in my life. It matters. I don't want to show of hands, young people, but how many of you have lied to your parents before? My oldest son raises his hand. You know, when you lie to someone, it takes a long, long time for that trust to be regained. In fact, I I don't know that you ever look at the person the same. doesn't mean there's not forgiveness, but it can be different. Young people, I would encourage you to think through the issue of integrity. Your word matters. You know, the Lord Jesus, 
in praying for the disciples in John 17 says this, I do not ask you to take them out of the world as the Lord Jesus is praying to the Father, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world. Listen to this last statement. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Chuck Swindoll, who I really like, he's a really practical guy. He said this about integrity. Integrity is keeping your word when no one checks up on you. Integrity does not manipulate others. Integrity is not prone to arrogance or self-praise. He says integrity means one is the same in private as they are in public. You have integrity if you keep your promises, he says. That's why that when we make a promise, we really need to think about that. You know, when you say, Mom and Dad, I promise I'll never do that again. I know you have good intentions, likely. But we have to be careful when we make promises. I've blown it many times in that area. Integrity even invites... I thought this was interesting, what he said. Integrity even invites constructive criticism because accountability is a necessary component. You don't find many people walking up to you saying, hey, I want to be accountable to you. That's just not necessarily a conversation that tends to happen a lot. But we need to think as Christians, I believe, in terms of accountability. That's going to help us as we walk and live the Christian life. Integrity keeps one from fearing examination or close scrutiny. Integrity is honest at all costs, no matter what it may cost. And listen, if you're having to be honest about something that's hard, at the moment it just seems like a huge mountain that you can never climb. And you look at the consequence and go, this is not going to be worth it. But the Bible says truth sets us what? Free. Man. Man. I told you this wasn't going to be easy. This is, I was, man, this is just a lot of stuff to consider. Integrity is essential, like he says, in the church. It is absolutely critical to healthy church leadership. You have to be able to trust people. I was sent an, a little story this week by one of my staff members, and I thought it spoke to uh, maybe a lack of character on the part of the individual, and they were, they were sharing with me a story about a church leader in the Midwest who stands in front of his congregation on a regular basis. <clears throat> and he was critical of his congregation because he felt like they should have bought him this specific watch. And he's really chastising them for... Not doing so because he earned it. He deserved it. And when I was sent the illustration, I thought, or the story, I thought, really? I might joke around and say, hey, look, the elders need to pay for a trip for me to go to Hawaii, but it's a joke. It would be fun, but it's a joke. A lot of great golf. Myrtle Beach has a lot of great golf. But I'm not up here standing going, I have expectations that the congregation would do anything for me. Except pray for me. 
<clears throat> integrity is essential. And the loss of that, listen to this, can happen like that. And by the way, I've said this maybe 1,000 times. It's one thing to have a conversation with somebody face-to-face and that integrity issue be questioned. That's very uncomfortable. But there's integrity that comes into play when you push that little button and send a message via text message, via Instagram, via Facebook. There's a lot more to be concerned with today, right? It's not just face-to-face conversation. But it's really everything that we do. I mean, young people today are on their phones all the time. They don't put them down. Maybe to eat, pick up a fork. but They might take the other hand to do that. Proverbs speaks about the issue of integrity in many places. I just picked out three. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely. But he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. Could we say accurately we're not getting away with anything? At the end of the day, the Lord knows. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, we're open and laid bare before him. I have a picture of being filleted. (laughs) We're open and laid bare before him. He knows us full well. Proverbs eleven three: the integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. And then 28, 6, and I told you, this is just a little sample. Better is a poor man who walks in integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. So, when you think about going to the scriptures for an example of integrity... Probably one of the first people that you think of is Joseph. Maybe you think of Job. Maybe you think of Daniel. But the one I want to use this morning is not necessarily on the front page, but more toward the middle of the newspaper. By the way, young people don't even, they even know what a newspaper is today. It's this little thing you can buy at the store. And uh, it's a newspaper. And I don't know if he would make the front page, but there's a lot said about him. And I was intrigued by him. The Lord just led me to him. That's the only thing I can say. And he was in a very difficult time in, in Israel's history. There was a transition going on in Israel's history. He was a prophet. He functioned as a judge. He anointed the first two kings of Israel. He was last in the line of Israel's judges. His name? Samuel. I want you to take your Bibles and go to 1 Samuel in the 12th chapter. And in this particular section, in verses 1 through 5 of 1 Samuel 12, we are going to be introduced to a man who had tremendous integrity. 
He walked blameless before the Lord. He was truly a difference maker. One of the things about his life, about Samuel's life, that intrigues me, and this is a side note, but Samuel was a man of prayer. I think maybe integrity and prayer kind of go together. I find it interesting that Samuel's final act as a judge was to put himself on trial. It's one thing to judge people or a nation, but it's another thing to have that nation or that people judge you. But that's exactly what Samuel invites. He invites Israel to judge him, to put him on trial, so to speak. So I just want to take you through these five verses, and I want to make six observations this morning, and then I want to give you some walking home papers, so to speak, some things to think about as we consider the issue of integrity. Look at chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Then Samuel said to all Israel... Now, they're going through a transition here between Samuel and who is the first king? Mr. Saul. Now, notice he says, Behold, I have listened to your voice in all that you said to me, and I have appointed a king over you, which we know is Saul. Verse 2. Now, here is the king walking before you, he says, but I am old and gray. And behold, my sons, look at this, are with you. We'll talk about that in just a minute. And I have walked before you from my youth even to this day. So when you're reading verses 1 and 2... You see here that Israel wanted a king. We're going to go back to that in just a minute. And there's a context to that. And he says, I've appointed a king over you. And we know that king was Saul. He says, now here is the king walking before you, but I'm old and gray. And behold, my sons are with you. They're with the general population of Israel. They're with you. Now, you could just kind of skip over that phrase, but that would not be good. Because that's quite a significant statement that is made by Samuel about his sons. Well, what do we know about his sons? Go back to chapter 7 with me. 1 Samuel 7. You need to turn there because I do not have... ...that for you. Chapter 7, verse 15. It says, Now Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. He used to go annually on the circuit to Bethel and Gilgal and Mizpah. And he judged Israel in all these places. Then his return was to Ramah, for his house was there. And there he judged Israel, and he built there an altar to the Lord. Chapter 8, verse 1. And it came about when Samuel was old that he appointed his sons 
judges over Israel. Oh, okay. But in chapter 12, he makes it a point to say, his sons are with you, or my sons are with you. Notice what it says. Now the name of the firstborn was Joel, and the name of the second Abijah. And they were judging in Beersheba. Now notice verse 3. His sons, however, did not walk in his ways. Well, how did Samuel walk? He walked, as you read 1 Samuel, he walked in the ways of the Lord. He was a man of integrity. He was a man who, just through his prayer life, was in submission to the Lord. He wasn't afraid to express hard truth. You remember that happened with Eli. He had tremendous character. But the Bible tells us in verse 3 of chapter 8, his sons did not walk in his ways. They weren't like their father. What do we want as believers for our children? We want them to do what? We want them to walk in the ways of the Lord. I was thinking about this this week as I was in my office. I think it was Thursday. I was thinking, if the young people here are coming because their parents make them, one day that'll run out. And it won't be they're holding on to the coattails of their parents. There'll be a decision that they make. And the decision they make will be this. It'll be based on their relationship with the Lord. That doesn't mean they have to stay here at this church. But they're going to go and they're going to make a decision. And did you know many of them are going to make the decision never to go to church? Say, that's discouraging. It's the truth. A good percentage of young people are making hard choices between the times they're 18 and 24 about the rest of their lives. And part of that is, who's going to influence me? And see, there's influence in the walls of a church. There's accountability within the walls of a church. Young people, my prayer for you is that you will walk in the ways of the Lord. And you'll do it because you love the Lord. Do you get that? I mean, like, you're doing that because that's what the Lord wants for your life. So if you're a young person today, you say, I belong to Christ, great, walk in the ways of the Lord. You say, Pastor Thad, that's hard to do. It is hard to do, and it's impossible to do without the help of the Spirit. But I've got good news for you, young people. If you belong to the Lord, you have the Spirit. So you can walk in the ways of the Lord. Is it going to be easy? No. Is it going to be a perfect walk? No. But one of the advantages you have as a young person, and all of us have as believers, is we have the Spirit of God that leads us into all the truth, that convicts us concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. So we don't walk alone. But as we look at this particular passage, in this particular context, it tells us that they did not walk in the ways of their father. Notice it says, but turned aside, verse 3, after dishonest gain, and took bribes and perverted justice. Sound like two great guys. Let 
Notice verse 4. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, Behold, you have grown old. <laughs> Isn't that cool? You ever have somebody tell you, Boy, you've grown old. I've had people tell me that lately. Because I have a driver's license and it has a little bit of brown or black hair, whatever that is. And now it's just not very much black or brown. It's a lot of gray. Behold, you've grown old. And your sons, look at this. Your sons do not walk in your ways. And so then we know what happens after that. They want a king like all the other nations. Well, as I look at verse 1 and 2, it tells us something about Samuel. It tells us something about his sons, which we just looked at. Observation number one. The phrase, I have walked before you, refers to a leader walking before his people. He's out front. He's leading the way. His life is on display. Not only are his words heard and scrutinized, but so is his life. You know, when I first started going to church, when I was a young person, um, I sat with my parents all the way up till my goodness, dad made us sit with them. I think I was even a teenager at the time. At nighttime, we could sit with our friends. And um, I just remember wanting to sit all the way in the back. I never wanted to be in the front. And I remember when I was at Southeastern Bible College, we had chapel every day. We had assigned seats. And if your last name begins with B, guess where you're sitting? Toward the front. I didn't like it in the front. I felt like I was being scrutinized. People were watching me. When you're out front, people are watching you. They see you. Like these people in the back here today. They can see those of you, like on the, let's just take the back rows. They can see Everyone in front of them, they can't see their face necessarily unless they're turning, but they see you. I don't hardly have many, I didn't used to, that sit here. I've got a few regulars that do. But when you're in front, you're being scrutinized. You're being examined, and that was the life of Samuel. He was being scrutinized, and, and you and I are scrutinized and in front of people every single day. You may sit in a cubicle all day, but you're being scrutinized by the person next to you that sits in that other cubicle, who you may not see, but they can hear you on the phone. They can hear your reaction to things. Young people, they see you at school. They hear your words. And if you ever make the statement to one of your friends at school... I know the Lord Jesus. I'm a Christian. Wow. Especially nowadays. They're watching you. They're listening to you. So we have a phrase here that indicates to us that Samuel indeed was out front. He was before the people. Years ago I made this statement. And one of the elders made me a little placard with this statement. A leader not only points the way, 
but a leader lives the way. It's not just what we say. It's what we do. It's being willing to be out front and being willing to, to have our, our lives scrutinized. And we understand, you know, pastors and elders live in a fishbowl. Everybody's watching them. If you're a leader, people are watching you. They're listening to you. There's accountability there. There's similar language in the New Testament when it came with Paul. He understood this whole issue of being examined, of being watched. He says, and now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. He's talking to the Ephesian elders. Therefore, I testify to you this day, I am innocent of the blood of all men. I have released my responsibility. I've declared the gospel. And he says, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. I didn't cut any corners. Leaders don't look at something and say, well, how can I make this sound just so right that people are willing to sit there and listen to me? Really? There are going to be many things as leaders that we're going to say that are hard. And it could be in a setting like this, or it can be a one-on-one setting or a small group setting. There is observation going on. If you are a leader, people are watching you every single day. Does what you say, excuse me, does what you do match what you say? Well, that's the first observation. The second observation comes from this text, uh, verse 3 of chapter 12. Notice what Samuel says to Israel. Here I am. Bear witness. That word means to testify. Testify against me. Notice he says, before the Lord and his anointed. He says, Who ox, whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? That word means in the Hebrew, cheated. Who have I cheated? Who, am I, who have I oppressed? That word literally can mean to cut into pieces. <laughs> That's not a very good thought or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it well I have two observations just from this particular portion first one Samuel's heart of humility is revealed he's a humble man I mean he's putting himself out in front of these people he's a humble guy If a person is humble, then first of all, they're thinking about the Lord and then they're thinking about others. That's exactly what was going on here. I like what D.L. Moody said about humility. He says, a man can counterfeit love. He can counterfeit faith. He can counterfeit hope and all the other graces. But it is very difficult to counterfeit humility. And who doesn't struggle with humility? Every person that I know struggles with humility. You say, yes, but they're they're an introvert. And they're just kind of walking around like that. That doesn't mean they don't struggle with humility. Now, it's all the extroverts. There's a man, that dude is really prideful. He's really arrogant. But the ones that are walking, you know, kind of like this. 
Well, they must be really humble. Well, they might not be. You know, so we have to be very careful. And I was going to say this later, but we need to be very careful the labels we assign to people. I am about Saturday to do a memorial service for one of the best friends I have in the world. He wore a hat. He wore boots when he was riding his Harley. Um, He wore Harley shirts. Half of those I bought for him. And on the outside, he might have looked rough a little bit to people. But there was who he was that you may not have known. There's a tendency, I think, in our lives to label. I just want us to be careful with that. It fit really well right here. But I like what D.L. Moody says. It's difficult to counterfeit humility. But as I said, humility has an order. And, and Paul speaks about it in the New Testament. And he talks about the Lord first and others and then ourselves. And humility doesn't say this. It does, humility does not say we never consider ourselves. We're to consider others first, but we are to consider ourselves but in the proper context and in the proper way. Well, the third observation, I see just from that first part of verse 3, which is a large chunk of it, is Samuel puts his life out before the people and gives anyone the opportunity to testify against him. Look what he says at the beginning of the verse. Here I am. I'm out front. Here I am. I'm the leader. I'm up front. Testify against me before the Lord. And his anointed, which was Saul. Testify. And then he says, if I've done any of these things, you know, he's saying to speak. Say it. Declare it. Can you imagine doing that? Can you imagine doing that? Standing in front of an audience and saying, hey, testify, witness against me. He goes back to what Swindoll says. If, 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 if you're right, you don't fear that scrutiny. So it's just really, it just really puts, it's incumbent that we're honest people, that we're truthful people. And listen, honesty a lot of times is difficult, but nonetheless, it's what a believer does. We don't do it perfectly, keep that in mind, I understand that. But it should be the goal of the believer to have integrity before the Lord and before people. One of the things I appreciated most about Dr. Alden Gannett, who I guess some of you may have known from Southeastern here, but man, he was a man of integrity. It, it was just, it's who he was. Just, it, it oozed out of his life. It's nice to have those examples, isn't it? Well, Fourth observation, 
comes from the last part, the very last statement here in verse 3. Back up a little bit. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom I've defrauded or cheated? Whom have I oppressed or cut up? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Notice what he says. He doesn't just say, examine me. But if I'm wrong, if I owe, hey, what does he say? I will restore it to you. I'll pay it back. It just blows me away. Like, when I was thinking of all the examples, the Lord led me to him. Like, here's a guy that just says, here I am, judge me. And if I've defrauded you, done anything wrong, cheated you, I'll restore it, I'll pay it, I'm going to do the right thing. How many people in one year are looking to cheat the IRS? I don't like paying taxes. Well, I don't either. I pay them. Every year I owe those guys. And it's not five bucks. But I want honesty. If I owe them 500 or 5,000, which it tends to be more in that area, I want to be able to stand and say I did what was right. Well, Samuel said, I will restore it to you. Samuel was willing to make things right with anyone he had done wrong. You know who that reminded me of? It reminds you of this person in the Bible, in the New Testament. You know who it is? Say it out loud. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, right? We sing the song. He was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Climbed up in a sycamore tree, right? For the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and said, What? Zacchaeus, you come down. Or I'm going to your house today. Y'all want to sing that song? I'm just kidding. Look what it says. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man uh, called by the name of Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector. And he was rich. By the way, tax collectors were so loved then and so loved now. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was. And he was unable to do to the crowd because he was short in stature. And so he ran on ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree in order to see him because he was about to pass through that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for today. I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. And when the people saw this, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. But Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I am giving to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of what? Anything. Look what he says. I will give him back how much? Four times. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The religious leaders, they wanted everybody all wrapped up in a tight little package looking great and wonderful. I mean, who's this guy Zacchaeus? I mean, he's a tax collector. Aren't you glad that there's grace? He's not waiting for us to get right. 
but he takes us right where we are. Well, fifth observation. Notice verse 4 of 1 Samuel. So not is he willing to stand before Israel, and he does that. Puts himself out there, but he's willing to restore if he's defrauded anyone. Verse 4, this is what Israel said. They said, you have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. So Samuel was judged to be a man of what? Integrity. He had great integrity. Imagine if you and I were on trial for integrity. What would be said of us? I read a story about a golfer named Raymond Floyd. Now, if you don't play golf, you're not going to know him. Um, Raymond Floyd played in the era like with Ben Crenshaw and you might Freddie Couples. Y'all might recognize some of those names. Man, Freddie has a sweet swing. Um, he played with like Jack Nicholas, Arnold Palmer, even though they were ahead of him some. But you know, those guys, when they're competing, they're competing for a lot of money. How many of you knew that? And, and so it's their paycheck. And we look at it and we go, man, these people are making a ridiculous amount of money. Okay, that's true. But the reality is they're, pay, they're playing to make the money. And that's kind of how everybody looks at it. But one of the things I've found in watching golfers over the years is, and you can't, I don't think you could just, you know, say, well, every single one of those men have integrity, but a whole lot of them do. And one of the things about golf that you do know is when you're out playing golf, right, it's you and someone else, maybe two or three other people, and one of the things that's on the line when you're playing golf is integrity. Well, Raymond Floyd was in a tournament. He was about to put out on the last hole. His ball is nine inches from the cup. He goes to address the ball, and the ball oscillates, moves. No one saw it, but he did. And so... When he finishes the round, and it cost him, by the way, it cost him a big amount of money. But you know what Raymond Floyd did? When they went to the, to the tent to record their scores, he assessed a penalty stroke for what took place on the 18th hole. No one saw it, but he did. You know, there have been times on the golf course... And this happens, and, you know, you may appreciate it or not, I don't know. But I've been in the sand trap before, uh, many times. And um, when you get in the sand trap, you're trying to, you know, get yourself grounded well. And typically, I can hit sand trap shots pretty well. But I remember on several occasions this happening. And a lot of times, guys around you, you're playing with, do not see it. They just don't see it. But you can take that club and come through, and it get kind of stuck, and you've hit the ball, but then it comes through rapidly, and you hit it again. How many strokes is that? One or two? It's two. But you have a decision to make. 
when they ask you the score? Well, it's a five or four. Well, no. I had two more strokes. I had one more stroke than you even know about. Because they'll say to you invariably, especially guys who have been playing golf for a long time, Dad, you had a four? No, I had a five. Why'd you have a five? I hit the ball twice. One time I was playing with Andy, golfing. I got so many golfing stories. I'm going to tell one this morning about Andy. We were playing golf, and I think Bill was there. and I don't know who else. And we had come to this par three. And, and there's water all the way across. And then there's these timbers in front of the, this kind of semi-island green. And so I put a ball down, hit it, hit the timbers, goes back in the water. I had another ball in my pocket, took it down, threw it, hit the timbers, back in the water. Said, Andy, throw me a ball. Throw me a ball. Andy, throw me another ball. Andy, throw me another ball. I made a 14. <laughs> or, as I've had happen before, hey, Thad, you don't have to count all those. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. And I've even gotten upset with the guy saying, put me down an 11. Well, Thad, you meant, no, put an 11. See, I think personally, that's an integrity issue. It's honesty. Well, even though no one saw Raymond Floyd's ball, he did the right thing. All right, observation number six. Look at this. So Israel's judgment, they said, you've not defrauded us. Verse four, you've not oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. He said to them, the Lord is witness against you, and has anointed his witness to this day, Saul, that you have found nothing in my hand. In other words, I haven't defrauded anyone, I haven't cheated anyone. And they said, He is witness. There's witness, and this is nice to have, not only by the Lord, but by Saul here, that Samuel led Israel with integrity. When writing about this verse, one theologian put it this way. What is being said in verse 5 is that if Israel came back and accused Samuel of something, the Lord would be witness against them. And also, if Israel tried to blame Saul's troubles, and he had a few, on Samuel, what was said here would be witness against them. In other words... It had already been declared, hey, Samuel's a man of integrity. He's not defrauded us or cheated us in any way. What a testimony. Shouldn't you have integrity in your leadership? Yes. Shouldn't there be integrity in our lives as parents? Yes. Shouldn't there be integrity in our lives as grandparents? Yes. Samuel had it. And he was willing to put himself out there on public display. Here's some things I want us to consider. Number one, just from this particular text, make ourselves accountable to others in life. It's important we do that. And by the way, that accountability begins in the home. Husbands, it begins with you being accountable to your wives and wives you being accountable to your husbands. There's accountability, and listen to this, this is very important. There's accountability with fathers and mothers with their children. In other words, 
They're accountable to their children. The children are watching you, yes, but you're accountable to them. And part of being accountable to your children, and this is very important to hear, is being willing to stand in front of your children and say, I was wrong. Does that matter? Matters. That same knucklehead back there who raised his hand when talking about lying to parents, that's my oldest son. And he'll recall this. I remember one time spanking him. I spanked him, I'm not sure how many times. But I remember this vividly. He was in his room and he needed a spanking. And his father was faithful to spank him. As I was the other two, he would say, well, dad, you did not spank the other two as much. Well, they were watching. But I had a limit. I had a paddle that this friend of mine made for me in New York. And the name of the paddle was Joe. I don't remember how the boys named it. I don't know how that came about. But the bottom line, his name was Joe. So if I was threatening my boys, I'd say, I'm going to get Joe. But I wasn't really good at the threatening piece. I just went and got Joe. And so I went to get Joe. And my son, in an attempt to elude what was coming, threw himself prostrate on the ground. Like just laying down. I'm like, I can go down there. But here's the thing, though. I had a rule. My rule was I was going to spank my boys three times. And I did, and I always made it worth their while. And yet, I was angry. You ever been angry when you're disciplining your kids? It went from being okay to not being okay. And I just kept whipping him. I crossed the line. That's the truth. Never forget, he was crying. Teresa was probably crying. The other two boys might have been crying, thinking about what was coming later, if they ever did something like that. And I remember walking in the kitchen, and I remember Teresa standing next to the sink, and I said, man, babe, I blew it. I blew it. And she was always so good not to look at me and say, yeah, you did blow it. Um, but I went to my son and I told him, I said, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Not wrong in the beginning, but I was wrong. Accountability is critical. It's critical inside the home. It's critical outside the home. It's critical in our jobs. With your coaches, if you're if, if you're a, a player of any sport, you're accountable. When I ran track in high school and coach would say, did you run your 440s? Did you run your 220s? Did you run your 100s? Well, he wasn't out there all the time. So it was your word. So when your coach says run four laps, well, don't run three and go, well, I did it, coach. That's a lie. Doing what is right is not always easy. How many of you agree with that? It's not. 
It's not always easy to do what the Lord's called us to do. Think it was easy for Samuel to lead Israel? <laughs> Have you read about those people? It's not. It's not always easy to do the right thing. How easy would it have been for Samuel to stand in front of those people? I think his conscience was clear, but still, he's standing in front of people. What we do in life should match our message. I'm going to give you a personal testimony here. Sometimes my mouth's out in front. You know what I mean by that? I need to think through better what I've said. It just happens. That's the reality of life. For when we are wrong about something, our character comes to the forefront. It's going to come out. How many of you, when you're driving, your character is out there? You ever pointed at somebody and thought, I hope that's not a church member? (laughs) We have wronged anyone, make it right. I have many examples in my life where I've had to go to people. I've been wronged. It's just part of life. It's, It's... I don't know, if you came to me and said, Dad, I've had a problem with you, I wouldn't sit there and go, well, I don't understand why. I might sit there and go, man, what have I done? Because I don't want there to be anything with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't want there to be anything with anybody. I mean, it says about deacons, they're to have a good reputation outside the church. So we think of it maybe within just the confines of these walls, but we need to think far beyond that. So when we're at ball games and we're cheering for our team, does it matter how that happens? I know every time I'll have my boys in baseball and soccer or whatever, it's like, oh man, oh man, oh man, Lord help me. Because I'm a competitor and I want to win. And my wife and I, when we went to Hawaii with Andy and Joan years ago, we are playing we're playing uh, 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 Scrabble. I love my wife, but I want to beat my wife in Scrabble. And at the end of that game, I wanted I had a I had a Z. You know, sometimes you get stuck with a Z. And there was a, a, an O and an E I could use, and I, I just like, hey, I can put Zoe. That's a transliteration, right, of, of the word joy in the Greek. I can use that. And she's like, you can't use that. So guess who won that game? She did. Keep our conscience clear before God and man. There was a story. This is really interesting. There's a story of this pastor. And he, he, his church was in a big uh, metropolitan area. And he's taking a bus to the location of his church. He hops on the bus pays the fare, and uh, the bus driver gives him change. He gets back to his seat, and he notices, man, I got a whole lot more than, than change than I should have. And, and, he, and he's sitting there, and the story goes this way. He's sitting there, and he's thinking about what to do. Is this just a gift from God? 
right? In other words, I got this extra money, and I'm just, he's wrestling. You say, that happens? It happens. Because there's the flesh, there's a spirit. You're like, hey. So he's sitting there, and, and finally he's just like, I know the right thing to do. I know the right thing to do. So he, it's time to get off at his stop, and he goes up to the front, and he hands the bus driver the money. He says, look, you paid me too much. Change. And the bus driver looked at him and he said, well, pastor, I was visiting your church yesterday, and you were speaking on integrity. I was just testing you. doesn't tell us the rest of the story. I don't know if the pastor fell out of the bus or what happened. But can you imagine? It just proves, guys, people are watching us. What does our life say as it relates to the issue of integrity? Let's pray together. Father, I just thank you so much for examples like Samuel, examples of integrity. It just encourages us, Lord, that that we can stand in front of people. And sometimes the things that we have to say or have to do are difficult. But if you show us to do it, it's going to be the right thing. And um, you're going to lead us by your Spirit into all the truth. And I just pray we'd be sensitive to your Spirit. That our attitudes would be attitudes of humility. And that as people in our lives that we come in contact with get to know us. One of our, one of our traits would be that we are men and women of integrity. Who desire most of all to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray for your help and thank you that your spirit does that. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. <clears throat> lady, a long time ago, used to be a member of the church. She said uh, to me one time, and she was going to move off, but she said, Ron, just remember one thing. Uh, never, never quit singing about the cross. And uh, I don't know why I remembered that. Such a such a uh, minor little statement that just somebody just said in passing to me. But it always uh, it always just you know showed me that that's exactly what I needed to be doing. Always keep your focus on the cross. If you keep your focus on the cross, you'll see Jesus. Keep your focus on Jesus. But anyway, just a little song that uh, is, well, it's a hymn, and so you know it. And I want you to sing with me. Uh, but it's really, I guess, my favorite favorite one. Every time uh, we got that thing running, guys. Um, but anyway, um, every time I pick up my guitar and play, I always start playing this. And so that's the reason why I don't have music in front of me. I want you to sing with me on this at the cross. <laughs> Savior bleed and did my sovereign die would he devote that 
that sacred head for sinners such as I. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Was it for crimes that I have done? He groaned upon the tree. Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. But drops of grief can ne'er repay the debt of love I owe. Dear Lord, I give myself away, tis all that I can do. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Gladly bear 
Then he'll call me someday to my home far away, where his glory forever I'll share. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a Well, I wanted to make a couple of announcements this morning before we leave. Um, first of all, there will be a, a memorial service Saturday uh, for Andy, and um, the visitation will be from 9 o'clock in the morning until 1045, and then there will be um, the service at 11 o'clock. Um, Joan's here this morning, and Joan, we want you to know we're praying for you, and Randy Paul and the family, and um, we uh, we love you. And uh, so you come out Saturday, and, and um, if you can't make it, make sure you try to see Joan today or the rest of the family. also wanted to make mention this morning that we uh, have a, a new family that's going to join us, and I was able to meet with Mark and Linda Tidwell on Thursday in my office for about an hour or so, and then Steve and Eddie... Two of our elders came in, and um, we met with them and talked with them about not only the church, but our, our missions ministry and small group ministry, different things. And so um, when they left office, they signed, and they want to, to be members here at Grace, and we're thrilled about that. So I'm going to have Mark and Linda come up here. If you guys will just come up front, and after I close in prayer, uh, you guys make sure you come up and welcome them uh, to the family here at Grace. And uh, so we're thankful that they're with us, and uh, this will give you an opportunity to get to, to meet them, all right? Why don't we stand, let's have a word of prayer as we dismiss. <clears throat> so, Father, we just want to thank you for the privilege to represent you every day. Help us to do that well with the help of your Spirit, that the Lord Jesus would be honored. Um, we want to pray, uh, Father... This morning that um, you would be with you know, there's several of our family members here at Grace that are hurting right now physically, several who are sick. We just commit those to you and just ask for um, your encouragement for them in their lives. And uh, we want to thank you um, this morning for Mark and Linda and uh, thank you for their desire to be a part of our church family here. And we just pray, uh, Lord, that um, we would um, love them and uh, show them and demonstrate that to them. And so we just ask for your guidance as we go through our week. May we be men and women uh, and young people of integrity. And all this I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You're dismissed.